welcome. Bless Christmas Day to all of you. 2020 has been an unusual year. Uh, I don't hear a lot of amens to that. Well, I think you're lying ahead. It's been an unusual year. But the king is still on the throne. And uh, I just welcome all of you. Thank you for coming today. And I pray you're going to be blessed. There's, there's a corporate anointing that comes when we gather together. And really, as I pray, I'm trusting that your families will have such a good time that this will be one of the best moments of gathering relationally in his presence as a family today. Amen? Amen. And so we celebrate that. I know we're in a smaller venue and we couldn't take as many people, so we actually had to turn a lot of people away. Why don't you look at yourself and say, I'm special. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty good. <laughs> but we, we're so glad you made it today. And uh, we look forward to Do you remember last Christmas? It was in this hall, and we were like passing chairs over people's heads. I think we got 128.2 people in this hall last year. So, uh, you know, we're just celebrating the fact that we've got some of you <laughs> this year. But uh, welcome, welcome. Anyone here visiting for the first time with us? Why don't you raise your hands? We want to greet you, welcome you. God bless you. Welcome with us today. So good to have you. We, we have, uh, uh, thank you, thank you very much, Zoe. Zoe has one of our church brochures, the, the 751 note in there for all our visitors. One day the Reserve Bank will catch up and you'll be able to use that. <laughs> but uh, Merry Christmas. And uh, oh, thank you. Yes, do I hear another Merry Christmas? Ah, <laughs> uh, to the lady at the back. Sorry, Merry Christmas. Um, so, friends, I'm going to hand over to the greatest preacher I know. Uh, we, we had such a great family Christmas yesterday with our entire family, and all our children are now married. Joshua and Noel got married last week, and uh, so we, we're just celebrating that. And uh, I, I really trust that every one of your families, so marriages will be healed, relationships will still all be healed, that this will be a restorative, joyful gathering for all of you. So as my beautiful wife comes to take over, my darling wife, everyone say, God bless Pastor Darling. Over to you, my beauty. Thank you. Sorry that I was a bit distracted there. I'm just looking at my notes. I... I changed the slides from my phone, but the Wi-Fi in here is not working so well, so it turns out that um, it's not going to work. So it was, it was working before, but the um, the Wi-Fi is not strong enough, so it's not it's not consistently working. So Calvin will change for me. So it's all good. We've got we've got backup plans behind our backup plans. So. Praise the Lord. Happy Christmas, everyone. How great to be with you. My, my daughter nearly made me wear reindeer ears. I, I kind of resisted it, but I see we have some reindeer ears over there, so well done. Well done. But happy Christmas. Like Andrew said, this has been a year. Uh, no, one, no one will ever forget 2020. Let me tell you, no one will ever forget 2020. Uh, but I, I trust and pray that, that this year will be not only the most well, the most memorable year, but it will be the year where God did something incredible in each of your hearts. Because sometimes when we face the most difficult times, it's when God becomes the most real. And so I'm trusting that that will be true for all of you. So Lord, as we begin the sermon, I'm asking that it would be more than my words. I'm praying that every person would hear your words spoken to their heart. Lord God, I'm asking that that you would come and be real to us, Lord God, as you made yourself so vulnerable in Christ, in that little baby, 
in that manger. Your message to the world was an invitation to come closer, an invitation that the barriers were gone, that we could, we could know God. And Father God, I'm asking that every single person here would have that experience today and forever, Lord. That it wouldn't just be a once-off thing, but it would be the beginning of something greater and more in their lives from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered what makes a person famous? I know. I mean, if it's the Kardashians, you wonder a lot. Sorry. I just... Sorry, <laughs> but sorry, no, Lord Jesus, bless them, bless them, bless them. Get them, get them saved and tithing to the church. Thank you, Father. The, um, but you know, someone, someone gets to be famous when they do something great. When you think of Nelson Mandela, he's famous because, because he pressed through hardships and he did something great. Think of Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Well, you know, greatness follows, or fame follows great things that they have done. Think of Mother Teresa, famous because when you look at her life, it's, oh, wow, that person did something amazing. Well, I'm going to talk to you about a scripture today, talk to you from a scripture that is the most famous in the Bible. And when you, when you see the, the fame that rests on it, you must ask this question, what greatness has it produced in people's lives that make it so famous? So as I go to it, you're all going to know it. But don't let the familiarity of it take away from the greatness that it contains. John 3.16, we are starting at, and we are going to move on from there. John 3.16 And it goes like this. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that, has, that his works have been carried out in God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I bet you could all quote that. You could, even if you haven't been in church much, you could probably quote it. It's a very famous scripture. I want to tell you a story. In 19, let me just make sure I get that date right. 1965, in 1965, James Stockdale flew a plane over Vietnam. He was part of the U.S. Navy, and as he flew the plane over Vietnam, he was, he was shot, and his plane was out of commission. He ejected out of his plane and landed in enemy territory. He was taken into a prisoner of war camp, and he spent seven years in the most brutal prisoner of war camp that has ever existed. It was called the Hanoi Hilton, sarcastically. 
you know, Hilton's a very famous, luxurious hotel. It was the opposite of that. And the, he, rec he recounts the terrible torture he went through, uh, just, just abysmal and horrible. After se I'm not going to tell, tell you about it because it's Christmas, you know what I'm saying. But after seven years, he was liberated. And another famous gentleman by the name of Jim Collins, who writes a book, From Good to Great, interviewed him and asked him this question. What was it? There were some people that cracked halfway through, that didn't make it to the end, that, that either gave up, committed suicide, just, you know, just threw in the towel, says, it's too hard, I, w I'm, I, I can't believe for, for liberation anymore. And what, what was it about those people that caused them to give up? That who, what was the characteristic of these people? And James said this, he said, these these people were all optimists. Surprise, surprise. These people were all optimists. I mean, that's the last thing you expected to hear. But what happens is these people were saying, oh, don't worry, we're going to be liberated next week. And then the liberation didn't come and they would be disappointed. Oh, no, we'll be liberated by Christmas. Oh, no, it didn't happen. Didn't happen. And, and eventually the continuous disappointment caused them to just give up. But he did tell two things that he felt like had caused him to be able to make it to the end of those seven years. He said this, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the, the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. First thing he said, he never lost sight of the end of the story. He knew that it may not happen today, it may not happen in a week, it may not happen by Christmas, but ultimately there is a good end to the story. The second thing he said is this is the very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, but the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. In other words, he said, I believed in that, the e that a good end was coming, but I faced what was in front of me. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to pretend that it was better than it is. I knew that this was a bad situation and I was going to have to work through it. And when we look at 2020, that might be true of you. We have to keep in our minds, in our minds that there is a good end to this. That God is that faithful, that there will always be a good end. But nonetheless, we cannot deny that in front of us, there is a pandemic. We cannot deny that in front of us, there are broken businesses. In front of us, there is poverty. In front of us, there's difficulty. We can't deny that. And what that helps us do, it helps us stay strong, persevere through, because we know the end is coming. But at the same time, it helps us to appropriate the grace of God to deal with the now, to deal with the issues that are around us. This is a great lesson that he taught us. Recently, Andrew and I were watching a movie. You know, lockdown, no, no social gatherings. We've watched a lot of movies in 2020. That was uh, the, year, the year of movies. Netflix, thank you. We, so we're watching, we watching this movie, and I have, to, I have to be honest. We got halfway through, and I, you know, I was just like falling asleep, you know, battling to follow the story of the movie. Finally, I said to Andrew, you're on your own. And I went to bed. Next morning, he, or he actually didn't watch it. He watched it a couple of days later. But he came to me and he said this, man, you should have stuck it out. The ending, oh my God, it was so great. It brought all the ends together. It made everything make sense. And it was so incredible. And he started recounting all, all, all the, the great things that happened at the ending. 
And I was like, darn, I should have stuck it out. I should have stuck it out to the end. But you all have the opposite experience. You pressed through a movie, and then right at the end, the movie went, oh, it was all a dream. You know what I'm saying? And you just want to shoot the producer. It's like, what were you thinking? I spent an hour and a half watching this thing, and it's all for nothing. Because you see, the end of the story justifies the story. If the end of the story doesn't work, then it's a waste of time being in the story. When we look at a little baby born 2,000 years ago, I mean, that's not a story. That's just, that just happens every day. But it's the end of the story that justifies the greatness of that. When we look at what he actually did, his life, his death, his resurrection, the fact that death could not hold him down, that this vulnerable, weak baby was able to confront the powers of darkness and win and rise from the dead, that he was able to confront sickness and disease and make a difference. He was able to change things. That just, that's why we celebrate Christmas. Because this baby's end was so spectacular, so powerful, that it justifies everything in between. It makes it all worthwhile. So when we look at this particular scripture, John 3.16, I want to look at the end of the story. And then I want to, in light of the obstacles we faced in the journey to the end of the story, I want to look at two possible paths within the story. So if we look at the end of the story, looking at the first two verses we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Can you see two endings to the story? The story of the world. We see two endings. We see the ending of eternal life and we see the ending of the world being saved. Now, when I see eternal life, I want you to get a picture. When I say eternal life, so many of you, for so many of you, that means going to heaven when you die. Don't raise your hands, but I know. That's, that's the instinctive response. But you know, Jesus didn't mean that. When he was talking about eternal life, he wasn't talking about going to heaven when you die. That's a good thing, believe you me. The alternative is horrible. So let's all go to heaven when we die. But that's not in essence what he was talking about. He was talking about a quality of life that came through the interaction of Jesus Christ into this world. He was talking about a new kind of life that we would live. He was talking about a quantity of life. He was talking about that this life was limited, this eternal life that would come into the world through his birth was going to be a the kind of life that had no limit. You know, it's not like wake up today, oh my gosh, I used up all my life yesterday. What am I going to do today? You know, you know, goodness happened yesterday. There's not enough left for today. The, he's talking about a kind of life that just keeps on. There's, there's no limit. There's no end to it. This might surprise you. Eternal life is timeless. When he was talking about this kind of life that would, coming, would come to us, he's talking about a timeless life. What I love about that is that we can face difficulties, and you know, outside of Christ, those difficulties can crush us. They can, they can be hard, and you know, they can rob from us, they can steal, they can leave us poor, broken of heart, etc. But eternal life is timeless. So when 
when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and that eternal life comes into you, that eternal life reaches into your future forever, but it reaches into your past forever. What does that mean? Is that at that instant, everything of your past is redeemed. What does that mean? It means that up to that point, all of that pain, heartache was literally meaningless. But the minute Jesus Christ steps into your life, he makes the pain and the heartache meaningful. It gives it a meaning because he changes it into something that blesses you. He causes all those things to work together for your good. What does it mean that there can be no regret in Jesus Christ? That when we look back over our past, that eternal life, what it does is it stamps everything that we've been through with the cross. It stamps everything that we've been through with redemption. It turns all the pain, the heartache, the mistakes, the, the things that we, have, we wish we had done differently. It turns all of that into something that actually makes us better. Eternal life. Eternal life is unstoppable. What does that mean is that when you contain eternal life, is when you walk into an environment, that environment changes. You don't get changed by the environment. This is Jesus Christ standing before hungry people and taking a few fish and a few loaves and feeding them all. This is Jesus Christ walking into a funeral, touching the dead body and the, the body raised. This is, this is the quality of God that he promises us that invades environments instead of those environments invading us. In a nutshell, eternal life is Jesus Christ. Eternal life is a person. Je eternal life is us coming into relationship with him and the life that he contained becoming the life that we live. the other end of the story that he talks about, he talks about, the reason I'm standing here on this side, guys, is because there's a space here. So I'm sorry about that. There is a space there. Maybe I'll go and stand in that space for a while. Make sure you guys all feel well taken care of on this side. The other side of the end of the story is that the world would be saved. Now, here's a, here's a wild thing. Is that word there, world, is the word cosmos, which literally means the physical world. We often don't think about this. Jesus didn't just come to save people. And that's his first priority, don't get me wrong. But he came to set the world right also. He came to set things right. What does that mean? It means that justice matters. It means that this is not just a, oh my gosh, I found Jesus, now I'm all okay, I can forget about the rest of the world around me. No, it means that there's an invasion through us into the world to set things right, that justice matters. It means that your work matters. It means that when you step into that workplace on a Monday, you are actually bringing the kingdom with you and you're transforming and bringing the world into the way it's meant to be. Your work matters. It means your environment matters. It actually matters where you whether you throw that chip packet out of the window of your car or not. <laughs> because God is redeeming the whole world. It actually, all of this is coming back to the original created order that he meant it to have. So what is the end of the story? The end of the story is eternal life and the end of the story is a redeemed world, a saved world.
This, this end of the story is worth pressing into. It's worth facing the difficulties around us and saying, that's what we're going after. That's what we're going after. So let's look at two paths in the story from verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light is coming to the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You know, none of us are in a prison of war camp, but sometimes it feels like it. None of us are in a prison of war camp, but we're all facing tough times. There are all difficulties that are around us. We've all, we've all felt the darkness press in. The scripture talks about the dark and the light. We've all felt the darkness press in. We've all felt the brokenness and the calamity of our environment. But this talks about two kinds of people. It says some that are coming to the light and by inference, some that aren't. There are two paths you can take in the story towards this great end. You can be moving towards the light or you can be moving away from the light. There's only two options really, moving toward the light or moving away from the light. I'm going to stick with movies. Are you all okay with that? I won't tell you which movies, but recently Andrew and I went to see a movie. It was really, I loved the movie. The story was abysmal, but there was this, world, this woman changing the world. It really worked for me. But we were we, we watching this movie, and it's during the day, and you, you've had this experience. You get into the movie, it's dark, and you're kind of like peering a little bit, but after a while, you get used to the darkness, and you enjoy the movie. What happens at the end of the movie, you come out, and it's like four o'clock in the afternoon, and you walk out of the mall, and the sunlight just blasts you in the eyes. You've all had that experience, like, oh my word, this is just too much. Why? Because sometimes we can get used to the darkness. And the darkness and that is around us, we can kind of acclimatize to it. We can kind of begin to feel like this is normal. What happens when darkness becomes normal? And this is one of the fights we have to, as Christians, keep up. Is that we have to resist the temptation to think that the calamity and the pain around us is normal or okay. It's not. There is eternal life that came through Jesus Christ and he's saving the world. And our job is to move with him into that end. Into that end. When darkness becomes normal, we stop dreaming. Because we just accept the status quo. When darkness becomes normal, evil becomes acceptable. And we say, oh, that's just how it is. Guys, that's not how it is. Remember the end of the story. Don't give in to the pain and the destruction and the heartache of the moment. Don't allow darkness to become the norm for you. Press into what the end of the story has, is telling you, that eternal life would rest on you and rest on your environment, that indeed all of your environment would be brought into the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you. So there are three ways we move to the light, and I'm just going to do these very quickly, thinking, oh my gosh, she's only starting her sermon now three ways we move towards the light. First of all, we, we remain teachable. My friends, I can't tell you how important this is. If God is God, then he will always know more than you. If God is God, he will always be greater than you. That means from now until eternity, until, until it's too far away to even think, you will be learning. 
And the day that you stop learning, stop growing, stop s- the day that you say, I know everything, is the day that you stop moving towards the light. It's a pride, it's a false cloak that comes upon you. The Bible calls it self-righteousness. It's a way of looking at the world that says, you can teach me nothing. This environment can teach me nothing. The minute you step into that place, you stop moving toward the light. How about vulnerability? I, I alluded to it when I prayed in the beginning, but imagine God choosing a vulnerable baby to be the vessel by which he would come and bless the world. How much more vulnerable can you get? Sickness, disease, the neglect of its mother, the times could have, Herod could have wiped that baby out in an instant. God chose to make himself vulnerable to you and me. What is vulnerability? It's the opposite of shame. What does shame do? Shame tells us that there's something so bad in us that we can't let people see, therefore we cover it up, we put facades, we, we pretend. God will not fellowship with a pretense. He only wants the real you. And the only way you continue to walk to the light is to pull down the pride, pull down the defenses, pull down the the walls and say, this is really who I am. God, walk me into the next step that I need to take. Vulnerability is essential in walking to the light. And the last one, look, there are many more. These are three I chose. I hope they're okay for you. The next one is surrender. And the reason I chose this one is because I feel like one of the greatest calamities of humanity at the moment is our desire for autonomy. Every person wants to be their own person. Everyone wants to be an island unto themselves. Everyone wants to be self-sufficient. Everyone wants to not need other people. It's just not how the kingdom works. It's just not how God works. You were designed from the beginning to need God and you were designed from the beginning to need others. And the opposite of autonomy is surrender. It's surrender to God and it's surrender to other people. It's surrender to say, I actually need you. I cannot be who I was meant to be without you. I cannot, I cannot actually be what I was meant to be without God. Surrender to him. So in conclusion, true hope is the conviction that eternal life is available now and a transformed world is inevitable in Christ. With this conviction, we can face the brokenness of our present and move forward towards the light of God's plan. And this is Christmas. This is Christmas that says to us, there is a great end. There is a good end. There is a full end. And as God stepped down as a baby, we can step into the world, not knowing everything, not having all the protections and the the fancy gadgets and everything around us that will make it okay. Just saying we can trust you. We can trust God for the next step. We can walk into it knowing that the eternal life that he has given us is enough. This is Christmas. This is why we celebrate. This is why we celebrate. Because the end of the story justifies everything. So Lord, right now I pray for everyone here. Lord God, I thank you for the gifts that are going to be open today or maybe have been open today. I I thank you for the feasts and celebrations that are going to happen today or maybe have already happened. I thank you for the relationships that are going to be reconnected and strengthened, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, for the the examples of kingdom that are going to happen in homes today. And Lord God, I ask that you would bless these moments. You would bless this time. You You would bless our Christmases together.
In Jesus' name, I pray this, Lord God. And Father God, I ask for each and every person here that the eternal life that I spoke of would be their portion. In Jesus' name, that the eternal life I spoke of would be their portion. And that as carriers of that eternal life, Lord God, they will be vessels for the redemption of the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? Yes, yesterday we, ha we had our Christmas celebration yesterday. And my children were walking around the garden. Um, all six of them, I have six of them now. Isn't that amazing? All six of them were walking around the garden. We were playing a game of cro croquet. Don't even ask what that is. It's a very old world thing. But we were doing it, and they were walking around the, the garden holding their stomach saying, oh, I just, I'm just so full. I hope that's your portion today. May you, may you have a blast. May you just be filled with fun, fellowship, the best food ever. May, Christma may the Christmas of 2020 be the best you've had up to this point. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Any announcements we need? Sunday we will be back here. Pastor Calvin's preaching is going to be amazing. We're really looking forward to that. Um, I d we did James, my friend. I had a James came to me at the beginning of the service and said he had a poem for us. My friend, how long is it? Fantastic. Come up and do the poem in closing, and then Mel, you will you'll take us away. Have you got something to sing, or do we just going to close with? M okay, fantastic. <laughs> we're going to do the poem, and then we're going to go. Can we give Mel a hand? Because she really stepped out today. Hello again. Um, the poem is called The Christmas I Remember. Once upon a time, and long so long ago, there was a boy born in a manger full of pain and feeble relief. And the thought of being innocent and humble was brought
from one separate part of our system to be changed. Help this down to learn how we can do that and help the world. We can go and plan as a team now, as a team, as a team to do this or as one as a team to say that let the Almighty King and you change us in a better way. This month is not just about the city, but giving authority. It's about making really our meditation process with our heart. It's about this man becoming people's faithful and a people's pastor. Unforgettable that we get to see living in one of us. This month is about the testing to ask you to change the color of the mountain to one of people's faithful and people's pastor. In the end, this is to allow The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his shalom, his joy, his presence, his anointing, his help, his love, his blessing in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you give him a hand of thanks? He's good. Thank you. Every day, trust that his presence will just change the atmosphere. Every celebration he walks into, Jesus walks in there with you. And we trust that his presence will change everything to work together for your good today. Amen. Amen. Have a really, really blessed Christmas. Do sign up for our service on Sundays year round. We'd love to see you. God bless. God bless you. But for some reason, I thought you were your brother. But now I know you're not your brother. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. How is um, the Western Church? Is Stellenbosch in the Western Church? Yeah. yeah. Is it? I haven't been here for quite a while. Oh, where have you been? Oh, because I just came home. And 